0: Welcome to Hotship, the now of leadership and S. Today, I have got another brilliant human with me, Carlos. And he's really smiling because I introduced him as another brilliant human. So, Carlos.
1: I have have to contradict that a little bit, but I appreciate that.
0: (laughs) Okay, let's talk about a contradiction first. (laughs) (laughs) But tell us who Carlos is
1: yeah um that's a complicated question so um i think what i'll i'll use what i put on social media i am a uh a father uh a veteran uh servant leader and uh overall nice guy <laughs> i think that's what i have so um yeah can
0: yeah, you say just... overall nice guy
1: overall nice guy yeah not all and... the time nice guy but try to be nice <laughs>
0: Well, you mentioned something really, I I think it's awesome. You mentioned about seven leaders. So let's talk a little bit about what seven leader is and, and why do you say that you are a seven leader?
1: Yeah. So I guess for some context, um, and I mentioned it at the beginning, I'm a veteran. So I spent 16, a little over 16 years in the Air Force and I was on the enlisted side. And so I worked my way up through the ranks from a lowly airman basic to uh, I retired as a master sergeant. And um, throughout my career, my, I have the luxury of hindsight looking back on it now, but, and I didn't realize I was doing it at the time, but the type of leadership that I always um, wanted to embody was one that said, people didn't serve me, I served them. And how could I do better at that? And how can I empower them? And how, what can I, own for them that is going to help them be successful and making sure they always knew i had their back that i was going to support them and that even when times got tough we were going to have those tough conversations and figure out a a path forward together so that's really my job is to um and i tell my even my reports to this day um i follow a very simple mantra of accomplish the mission and take care of your troops and to me that's a very Um, symbiotic relationship one can't happen without the other right so that's kind of always my mindset is I am trying to lead and manage teams and build high-performing teams
0: I love that you mentioned uh, about focusing on on the mission right and I also love that you mentioned that you serve your people and people are not serving you what does that look like from your military experience? And I know that serving is such a huge component, right? When you're serving uh, in the military, and they really look at you as a family. Right. And some people contradict that that whole term as you no know, people whom you work with are not your family. But I want to hear from your perspective as what was your experience like while you were serving? And yet you served your people within your team.
1: Yeah, so one of the unique things about the military is it, and it varies from unit to unit that you're in, but I've been really lucky that the majority of the units that I was in, we were a family. Um, You know, we trained together, we broke bread together, we deployed together. Um, And you get to, especially on deployments or longer exercises, you get to know people in a different way. Uh, then you probably would you wouldn't normally get in like a more of a corporate environment, um, especially when you're in a place where you don't want to be and it's cold or it's way too hot and you've got rodents everywhere. And, um, you know, you get to see a different side of people and you get to really know them. Um, and one of the one of the things that I do miss about the military is whenever somebody had a baby, you know, it was all hands on deck. Let's make food for them for you know a month. You know we rotated making food for them. Or if somebody passed away, what can we do for you? What do you need? We were right there with them and in their homes after hours, helping them through it all. And that could be with anything, as a kid and all that. So that's one of the I miss that kind of connection that you build with people um, that you don't normally get in kind of the corporate world. But because of that, and because as I started to get higher in rank and was started to be more responsible for folks you start to realize like you got to take care of them in the same way that you would take care of your own family because at the end of the day you still have to accomplish the mission so what can you do um to help them as much as possible that's beautiful
0: colors and i love that you said that you know you got to see your team while being in the field, right? You got to see your team, how they react to the environment. You used a great example, you know, rodents being around or harsh environments. And that's so transferable in the workspace. And I agree with you, that kind of a comrade is not, I'm not going to say not present, but it is largely missing for the most part. And, And I want to go back to the point that you just made. You you know, you had to be there for your team. You learned about how people reacted in environments or while being surrounded by rodents or cockroaches or whatever. Right? And in the same situation, I'm such a a grumpy person when I'm hungry, when it's hot. Um, And I have got to, (coughs) in the meeting for three hours, oh, I'm, what do you call it? hangry yeah,
1: yeah, <laughs> angry yeah.
0: and angry so i become that person so that is so relatable to the workspace right the environment that we are in disagreements uh, when someone loses someone like you mentioned uh, delivering a baby is such a huge responsibility it takes a toll on both the parents sleep uh, stress you know trying to juggle different things and if there's a death in the family, it affects you in a granular level. It affects you from heart level, and it morphs a person into something else or someone else, and they're no longer that Mila who showed up on the first day of work, you know, producing some like hundred percent performance. But when life situations, going back to your point, as to being in harsh Cold climate or hot environment or routines, you get to see people's not say true different side of them.
1: Right.
0: Right. And let's talk about how how when you were exposed to the different sides of people, it was not that they were they were Mila 5.0, or negative zero point two, but it was still Mila.
1: Yeah.
0: How do you push yourself to embrace them and create a space of acceptance?
1: I think the key is self-awareness. I think that it goes back to your own self-awareness and understanding who you are first and having the mindset that you're going to take your best strengths and apply it to help those around you, right? And that's true in life. That's just not a a leadership thing that's just a life thing if you can embody that um, so then when you tune into yourself what's interesting in my experience um, is that you start to tune in differently to people around you and as you realize that certain reactions or lack of reaction to certain situations may when you normally might take that as a personal affront or whatever is really not about you you know there's something else happening in that person's life that that causes them to react that way so then when you can start having that mindset you realize and you start dealing with people with a lot more empathy um and you start to see things from their perspective and if you can do that and if you can stay in that space no matter how hard it gets and and, you know you'll find yourself like not always being there but if you can consciously try to always stay there from a place of empathy think through what they're going through yeah it may suck for you too but as the leader of that team or group or whatever you have a responsibility to take care of the folks around you and a big part of that is just being empathetic to them learning what they like and what they don't like and then figuring out a path together to make things better Um, and it's not always going to be better right like i mentioned rodents because that's the example that popped in my head it's like you know i was deployed to kuwait we had rats and like you can have all the rat traps in the world, but you're not going to catch them all, right? So it's not like you can necessarily fix everything, but you can try to do your best to make it as less miserable as possible.
0: I like that mindset. Uh, I also like that you pointed, pointed out that it's not going to be together always. And that's such an important key. And And when we say not not together always let's expound on that sometimes people can take it as my way or no way at all or take it as you don't need to be on board but i need you to agree with me that kind of a mindset so let's dig a little bit deeper into not always going to be together um, what does that look from an extended lens, um, not just in leadership, because it, it's life, like you said, it pertains to life itself, how we interact with others, how people come into our lives. Um, so let's tap into that for a bit.
1: Yeah, so I think, I mean, there's a couple of different ways to do it, right? So as a leader, you try to, if, especially if the situation isn't great or your project's not going right or whatever, you try to, I think two things number one is really clearly communicate the value of the thing that you're doing and then the second piece would be figure out the direct value to that person right is it going to help them in their career is it going to help them get to the next level is it going to what what is it going to give them in the long run right and kind of looking at the big picture sometimes it's just not going to be there sometimes you're just not going to be able to come to those kind of agreements so then you got a choice you try to tie it back to the broader mission and why it's important to the broader mission or you part ways and parting ways is a, a completely acceptable thing um, that i think we don't do enough necessarily because it's super hard to do um, especially if you've invested a lot of time or energy or or something into that thing or that person um but i think it really it's a simple solution you either figure it out together or you part ways and doesn't make just because it's simple doesn't make it easy but it when you kind of pare it down to like the really basic components that's kind of where you end up and then just having the courage to follow through with one or the other that's such a beautiful
0: way to look at things (laughs) i i I love that you mentioned three points you mentioned that you know, communicate the value that you are doing and also relate the value that brings to that other person, right, because that's such an important piece that we are missing, not just in the workplace, right, when we're talking about le- hardship, we're talking about the leadership, the now leadership and S, right, How how do we belong in a community, right? Even like living in, an apartment complex or in a community like in the neighborhood what kind of value are you getting by living in that community is it contributing to your happiness are your neighbors being great to you well not great but you know cordial right right uh, where you exchange food i remember growing up in different parts of the wall and and people are so different right in a way that Community is everything. When I say community is everything, they come to you if your parents are sick. They come and hope if someone, even when you're having a fever, they'll come and say, hey, I could sit for you. Uh, that's kind of an interdependence going on and with no expectation. And at the same time, there's value. There's value in you're sick, let me bring you food. You're sick, let me bring you medication. And you also highlighted a very important point parting ways if it does not look if it does not bring badly it's okay to part ways why do some people take it in a very negative way parting ways uh it, it usually looks like defamation of character or demonizing someone else so let's talk about why parting ways is good how can we do it in a very humanizing manner that does not result in demonizing someone's character or breaking down someone's
1: essence right so so i think it goes back to ego i think it all boils down to ego i think it's so hard it's so hard to accept that this is just not working and when you peel that back at least again my experience with dealing with some of these things is it comes back to ego it's ego on both sides um if you can get past your ego and look for the lesson in what happened or what didn't happen, then you're going to be able to move forward and in a more educated way and find the wisdom in in what just happened in the process, right? So um, the problem is we get stuck in ego and that ego leads to fear. And, you know, once you get into fear, it's kind of, you're, you're off in a, probably the most wrong direction until you can pull that back. Um, but I really do, I think um, it all boils down to ego. So how do you get around it? Um, I think communication is the key. I think um, there's, a, there's an author named Brene Brown, who I absolutely love. And she, um, I can't remember which book she wrote this in, but she has this phrase called clear is kind. So I think you just have to be very clear with intentions with um where you hope things go or don't go and as long as you you are being honest and open and communicative to what happened and what's not happening regardless of the other person's reaction because you can't control that part as long as you're clear with your intent clear with your reaction and you respond accordingly then i think when it's all said and done you will have that peace of mind that you did the best that you could with the information that you had, and you made the best decision at the time in that moment. If you can get two people to do the same thing, then parting ways becomes, not easy, but becomes easier. But it's hard, super hard, because most people aren't that conscious, most people don't realize like their own ego is getting in their way.
0: That's so true, and I love what you mentioned about um, ego often, when we're stuck in the ego, it often leads to fear. Right. Um, let's, let's, what can ego look like, you know, like some people think ego is confidence. Uh, some people think ego is, comes from a a space of power or positional situational power. I want to like really dig deeper into this. Like what, how can ego look like? What does ego look like in different environments, in different spaces?
1: Yeah, to me, to me, ego is lack of Mm self-confidence and not in in confidence, not in a cocky kind of way, just confidence of who you are, the value that you bring and understanding that you don't know it all. Um, And so when people start to show ego, it usually comes across as extremely cocky, um, maybe abrasive Or in a lot of ways, when it comes to having difficult conversations and parting ways, it comes back to you end up closing yourself off and you end up not staying open to feedback or not open to what's happening in that moment. Um, And then when both people are doing it and both people close themselves off, that's when communication breaks down. That's when fear steps in because you don't know what the other person's thinking or feeling. And then you go down that rabbit hole of, you know, not a great part of you know the situation or the experience so um but yeah to me ego goes back to just self-confidence it's having enough self-confidence and awareness that you're going to be okay things are going to work out and um this is part of the learning that goes along with with life
0: that's beautifully put, And and i like that you mentioned one point about being open to feedback Right, and you also mentioned about self-confidence. I want to touch on confidence for a little bit. Uh, a few weeks ago, I was having a conversation with a few people <laughs> and they mentioned about we really need confident people. Uh, or that was part of the conversation. And as we were speaking more, and this was a recurring team that I heard people express, she is not confident. She can't be presenting. It, and it was always related to females. Right mm. And and it, it it was quite surprising for me how women perceived other women to be not confident and they perceived this image of what confidence should look like, must look like. And I did not jive with it because yeah. some people are confident in different forms, right? Uh, you have dancers who are confident in dancing and when you ask them to come in and give a talk, they can't articulate in terms of words but they can articulate in terms of dance music just like an artist just like a musician a musician can get on the stage and confidently play the guitar my husband is a musician and he is not an extrovert he's such an introvert in in crowd to button once he gets on stage he is confident he plays he He loses himself. When I say loses himself, it's like in the music. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) That's how confidence looks like. But I want to hear from you, self-confidence, and how confidence can look like. You were in the military for so many years, right? And often people perceive, or military people are so confident. Mm -hmm. How can confidence look from that lens? And then you transition into the corporate world. How can confidence look like on the other side of the coin,
1: So what's interesting when you said uh, often people think military people are so confident. So that's a that's a lie. Right. We're not. So what we do have is years of training. And that's how you build confidence is you do the things over and over in a training scenario or so you can get ready for a deployment, a wartime situation, whatever. Right. And that's to me, that's self-confidence, too. It's if you're bad at something and you want to get good at it, the only way to get good at it is to do it right over and over as much as it sucks, as much as it's uncomfortable, and you just keep doing it until you build that confidence. And it may take you years to do. Um, so when people look at a military member and they might think, oh, you know, he talks a certain way, he acts a certain way, or she holds herself in a certain persona, that's just years of training, right? That's years of going through basic training, going through technical training, being in a unit, and build building that kind of confidence in your own skill set but trust me there's something about that person they are not confident about right so that's just that's not the thing that they're projecting to the world so at the end of the day i think going back to your example where they were referring to you know maybe a female presenter or whatever it's like okay cool as a if i hear that as a leader and i know at some point this this person needs to go present regardless of gender it's like what what opportunities am i going to give them so they can build that confidence so they can do the thing that they're supposed to do, right? And so my job as leaders to provide those opportunities and to, again, show the value to that person of why they need to do it as much as they may be uncomfortable at it, but to show them how it's going to relate to them in a future part of their career, right? I love that.
0: I absolutely love that you highlighted giving opportunities to someone to, to build that confidence up, right? How many times do we fail as conscious leaders, going back to your point in being aware and being conscious, how many times do we give other people opportunities as, as conscious leaders, right? Uh, when we feel that, oh, you're not doing this right, or no, this is not the way that you're supposed to do, we immediately shut that door down for them and say, you're not ready yet. And let's go back to the word you're not ready yet. Why? Oh, not why, but how can we shift that that narrative as to you're not ready yet? Going back to your point as to you know practice, 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 practice makes progression. I'm not gonna say perfection, because when you aim for perfection, I didn't think people will actually move, they'll just be paralyzed. Yeah. So how can we change that narrative as to from you're not ready yet as to how can we truly give them opportunities? Because this is something that a lot of leaders uh, fall short on, identifying opportunities, giving that opportunity as opposed to saying you're not ready yet, wait for your time.
1: Yeah, so I think it depends on the situation. I think saying you're not ready yet is okay in certain situations as long as the next sentence is, but here is, how, here is how I'm going to help you get ready. Here are the opportunities I'm going to give you to get ready. Um, if you've had those ongoing conversations and the person just isn't ready yet, like they've continued to not be ready, then that turns into a different conversation and maybe that's where you part ways. Um, but again, it comes back to always providing a way that they can improve, tying it back to the value to them and to the mission, and um, doing everything you, in your power as their manager, leader, whatever, to enable them and make them successful.
0: Well, I love that you said that, you know, let's have that conversation, how to make them ready. But from your years, extensive years of experience from like, the military and then transitioning into the corporate world, and then, of course, live experiences, right? No matter how... You know someone is not ready yet could it be possible that in the spirit of value right providing them with value and giving them value could it be that that environment is not suitable for them and how can we because like most of the time most leaders and i've i've been guilty of doing that in my past when i feel that oh this is not working out for you let's part ways but what if we extended our lens right our mindset and heartset, into okay you're not really yet. despite the opportunity despite the resources then should it be that we take 10 steps back and look at it from an eagle eye view as to probably this is not just the environment that is facilitating this person's growth rather than parting ways how can we become that enabler to bridge that gap as to this team is not working out for you maybe I can connect you with another team that does align with your goals is that even possible to do that and that's something that most leaders kind of like shy away from saying that oh I do not want to do that I want to understand not the signs but the reasoning behind it and what do you think about that
1: yeah, so there's a ton of nuances to that, right? It depends on the situation. So I think, generally speaking, if you have somebody that's struggling, but they are genuinely making an effort to get better, maybe the role is just isn't a fit for them. So then, yeah, absolutely. As a leader and as, again, going, tying it back to the broader mission of a company or whatever organization, look, help them look for opportunities that better align with their skill sets. And that way you help the person, you help the company, um, you're fully transparent with that transfer or whatever, um, but you still provide a a different kind of opportunity for that person. The flip side is if you've got somebody who just isn't caring, who isn't trying to improve, then that's a different conversation. Then honestly, I think you're doing them and yourself a favor by, okay, it's time for us to part ways. and the, those are the hard conversations to have. You may have there's kind of a nuance even to the to that where person's doing really trying really really hard. They're just not getting it. You don't have another opportunity for them within your organization or your company. Then can you do something to help them externally? Point them in a direction, make an introduction, um, because what that does is it pays it it pays it forward. Like that person's going to remember like you help them out even though it was a departure, but it was a positive experience in the departure. And they're gonna remember that about you. And it's gonna come back some way to you in a good way, right? It's good karma, whatever you wanna call it. The universe will respond accordingly to something like that, right? But again, it goes back to you you as a leader, getting out of your own ego and looking for broader opportunities that genuinely help people.
0: I love that you mentioned like paying it forward, right? And that's the mindset and heartset people should be adopting. And I love that you mentioned that if it's not working for the current organisation, how can you? How can I connect you with someone else as opposed to saying I wish you all the best, right? There's a difference between building a community of practice. When I say community of practice, it can be a practice of kindness. It could be a practice of empathy, going back to your point of empathy, right? But and also to your point of building a family, treating your team as family. And a lot of people will disagree with that, but family is about taking care of each other, even though even though you're not you're not cooking food for them, or you, even though you're not able to put a roof over their head, but just that kind gesture of hey, I've got a connection, let me connect you with this person and see how that goes. That is a genuine act of kindness. And that's what hardship is about. It's oh. about how can we move forward beyond what we are exposed to, beyond you know whatever that we are reading the books. It's just have the bloody guts to do it. Right.
1: Yeah, and I would challenge anybody that says they're not family. Like, if you're in a corporate world and, your team, and you're saying your team isn't really a family, I think you need to kind of reevaluate that. Because when you think about it, you probably spend more time with your teammates at work than you do your actual family. Like, think about how much time you're spending, 8, 10, 12 hours, depending on your, your environment, right? Are you really seeing your family that much? I, I challenge you to say yes, right? So just because you're not breaking bread with them, just because you're not, you know, celebrating birthdays or whatever with them. Doesn't mean that there can't be some kind of kinship there, um, but that starts at the top. That starts with the leader of that team. It starts with the leader of the organization. It starts with whoever the CEO, right? All the way up to the CEO. It's building that kind of. If that's the type of culture you want in your organization, it's up to you to build it. So do it.
0: I agree. With you. Uh, my company about six months ago did research of how many hours people spend time for work at work going to that uh, 70 to 80 percent of their everyday awake time, leaving them four to six hours a day. That four to six hours a day is including making food for your family, going grocery Mm. shopping, relaxing, taking a shower and watching the telly. Four Mm. hours, that's unbelievable. But Mm. coming back to your point, like we do celebrate birthdays with our teammates. We do celebrate anniversaries. We do have lunch. It's not like, oh, sorry, you do not exist. Your teammates are your family because when something is not going right, they are there to say, hey, is everything all right with you? That just concern, the the show of concern, you, you know, enables you to have that human connection. And I'm with you, your teammates or the people that you work with can become your family if everyone in the organization consciously strives to build a culture of hardship.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that's the important thing, right? Because you got teams that really aren't like, you don't exist, right? You just do your work, I don't want to hear from you, and just, you know, get it done. And that's unfortunate. And if you find yourself in this situation, really think about what you're doing there. Like, is that really the environment you want to be in? Um, I, I, that's not one I would want to be in, for sure.
0: Me either. I, I love, you know, joking around with people, I love making people do the with slash dons. So I, I love being me, because that's what you do with your family at home, be your quirky soul, right? And that's what I want to be. In the spirit of hardship, right, the now leadership and what does hardship mean to you, Carlos?
1: Yeah, that's an interesting question, because I never really looked at it from, like, a hardship standpoint. Um, I always looked at it from like the servant leader standpoint. But when you think about it, it is a lot of hardship. You know, you put your heart into it. You try to be empathetic, and you try to be the best version of yourself that you can be for your team and for your organization. Um, so for hardship, for me, is just leading with empathy, leading with understanding, leading from a genuine place of. I want to help the people around me. Um, It doesn't mean you put your own career goals to the side. It doesn't mean you don't prioritize yourself, but you do it in a way that doesn't step on other people. And if you can kind of balance the two of still going after what you're gonna go after for you, but understanding as you evolve as a leader and as you have more people reporting to you, you're still leading them with empathy, with understanding, with a genuine, I'm going to help you because this is the right thing to do.
0: I love it, Carlos. Carlos, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. It's been a pleasure getting to know you as, as a person. And you are a nice guy. <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, I appreciate that. It's been a pleasure being on the show.
0: We met for tea uh, a few weeks ago. And I absolutely, it, I feel energy. I know it, it sounds really witchcrafty, but I feel energy from people and you are just love and kindness. I so uh,
1: appreciate that. Yeah, no, I'm I'm all about vibe. If I'm not feeling you, then yeah, I, I feel you around that one. I just, I, I have to be around people that's like the, the same kind of frequency. Yeah. Um, otherwise it just doesn't work out too good.
0: Yeah. <laughs> thank you again for sharing this space.
1: Uh, thank you so much. I appreciate it.